0: Welcome to the
1: Daily Boogie. Hello, hello. Good morning, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this impromptu recording of the Daily Boogie podcast. What an absolute pleasure to see you there. Hope you've had a lovely day. I certainly have. Going to get into a very juicy conversation with an old friend tonight, a little bit of a CPAC review and perhaps casting an eye out across the landscape into the future to see how the demonic forces are going to be fucking with you on a daily basis in the weeks and years to come. By the way, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogiebumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And, of course, if you would like the forces of darkness to ravage me and my guest in my sleep, head over to Twitter and follow at boogiebumper. Without much further ado, I'd like to... I'd like to not underestimate, I'd like to introduce the man, the myth, the legend, the mystery that is, a dear old friend from days gone past, Mr. Tom Châtelet, thanks for joining us.
0: Absolutely, hello, what an intro, man, you got your pitch down, This is you've cleaned up, what a production this has become. Like
1: ironically, totally under ironically, as I've got more professional, I've gotten less popular. Can you believe it? I, I don't know what the kids are into these days, but I, I appear to be behind the curve. So, Tom, thanks for joining us. Um, you spent the week at CPAC. I want to get into that. But for the new listeners that we have to this podcast who don't know you, because you've basically been living like a mole or some kind of underground troll creature for the last six months or so, can you give people like a quick little rundown of who, you, where, who is your daddy and what does he do? Like, where did you come from and <laughs> what do you do? And why should we listen to you? (laughs) Pressure. Uh,
0: Well, I'm nobody. You shouldn't listen to me. And uh, I don't even know how I ended up here. I was just trying to go to Dairy Queen. But no, I'm Tom Chatelet. I'm a social media strategist. I am now CEO of a conservative talent management company called Limitless Talent Management, as well as partner in American Priority Conference uh, that throws conservative events uh, around the country yearly. And I got my start in media, public media, late 2015, early 2016 for the election. Um, obviously, I, I started out independently, worked with Cernovich Media, then branched off, went back to independent and freelance. And uh, you know, now I'm just bringing the heat. Doing f- right now I'm in the middle of a tour. I've been home about four or five days out of the last few months. I've um, been on about a six-month run across the nation, meeting. Actors and musicians and pundits and strategists and consultants and operatives all around the nation Getting their input and setting things up uh, for the next election
1: There you go um, Interesting comment in the chat, Tom uh, From Kimmy Jong-un She said, Boogie, did you come between a man and his dinner? I did, but that's going to be the ultra-subscription sub- uh, Black Label podcast So we're not actually going to be showing that footage here tonight But thank you for asking And Tom you know, he didn't say it there, but Tom's a great example of how, you know, if you put your mind to it and if you really want something enough, because you were working on a factory floor when we first met about three years ago. Yeah. And yeah, now absolutely. look at you flying.
0: Was, yeah, that's absolutely what I was doing. Um, and then, you know, doing my independent podcast or my independent periscope, some like eight, six eight hour periscopes rambling on about who knows what I'm researching things and just, of trying to explore myself learning and teaching myself and just taking my audience along with me for the most part um got a few lucky breaks and worked my butt off uh to learn and prove that i can i can i can hang out in this genre in this game and you know i i had the ability after the american priority conference in december last december to really hit the road and really start applying my knowledge and applying my skills and my network to actually trying to create some change or trying to get some momentum going um, for culture specifically is what I've been focusing on. Not so much politics, but culture. Hmm. And So that's what I've been doing, but straight from the factory floor all the way up to now where I'm just jet setting across the nation. Uh, I I average about four to 6,000 miles a week And um, yeah, I'm in three or four cities each week. Sometimes I try to stay for a little bit longer. Doing a lot of work out of DC, out of Florida, out of LA. Right now I'm in Nevada. I do a lot of work out of Vegas, all over the place right now.
1: Wow. And you've been up since about three o'clock this morning and it shows, but I so I appreciate you. I appreciate you jumping on the line at such late notice. Is it true, just before we get into the CPAC stuff, is it true what? You know, somebody once told me when they were working a normal job and they got a job that involved a lot of travel, a lot of flying, maybe two or three different cities around Australia every week. And they said to me, you know, the idea of traveling a lot for work is really good until you start doing it. And then after a couple of months, you really just want to stay in one place for a week or two. You know, have you found that?
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, in the beginning, it's exciting. You know, you're flying here, you're flying there and then... You know, when you're putting in, you know, when you're going from L.A. to D.C. two or three times in a week, you're spending all that time on a plane, you know, you realize you're like, oh, man, this is not as comfortable as I thought it was. I'm a little fatter than I thought I was, and the seats just aren't exactly comfortable. (laughs) Um, The excitement kind of wears off, but it's good. I've uh, One thing it has done is made me be able to sleep pretty much at a snap. My internal clock at this point is just i don't even know what it's functioning on i just literally if i have a couple hours i just try to sleep when i can and then uh, flights are good for that because at least i'm in one spot and no one's trying to pull me left or right so i can uh get some rest in
1: Hmm. well that's good to hear i'm glad you're getting some rest i'm glad you're flying around living the dream so i want to get into cpac though you did spend a week there you were pressing the flesh Everybody at some point, I imagine, was touched or touched by somebody who was touched by Tom Châtelet, you know, as a logical progression oh. of events. So I'm sure, you know, you are one handshake away from the president at any moment, given the amount that you get around. But, you know, you, you said something interesting. You focus more on culture. And I think you and I come from a similar viewpoint in that, you know, we, we tend to follow the late great Andrew Breitbart and his assertion that politics is downstream from culture. and you know we, we might have political victories along the way but we're going to have political defeats as well and they aren't necessarily the be all and end all because what feeds politics in the first place right and that tends to be the culture of the nation of the civilization and whatnot so we both you know we we're, we're more drawn to that fight rather than the the daily ins and outs of the political fight you know oh this person passed this bill and this person disagrees with that and this person voted for that that tends to be a different argument that other people have With CPAC, what I understand was, uh, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this was an opportunity in years gone by for Republicans to basically extort money from lobbyists. Uh, It was an opportunity for them to network with each other, to discuss new policy initiatives, this kind of thing, court money for future campaigns, and it was all pretty sleepy stuff. Um, Enter Donald Trump. And things tend to have changed a little bit. And what I noticed this year specifically was a lot more of these less political, more cultural influences on the floor shaking hands. Is that something you notice as well? And, and the, maybe perhaps speak to is there has there been a shift in like the age differential as well? Are we seeing a lot more younger voices coming in now than previous years? Is it more exciting than it used to be?
0: Uh, well, they're trying, and uh, extortion from lobbyists at CPAC is a very kind way to put it. Um, but, yeah, no, it's the demographics have absolutely changed after Donald Trump, and after the injection of cultural influencing figures, and more branching out that way, for sure. The demographic, CPAC had the biggest CPAC they've ever had this year, and it's not because they've gotten any more exciting, or that Republicans or the GOP are any more effective, but they're not. But it is after Donald Trump got involved, made things fun, made things exciting. Right now is a crazy time historically, politically, and culturally. And young people are really starting to pay attention and they're really starting to get involved and they are very attracted to a figure like Trump. And so the fact that he was coming on the last day of Steve Pack to do a speech, you know, Pence was there among other figures. And the fact that Donald Trump was going to be there on the last day and ironic, I mean, it was actually very fitting because he was supposed to give a 45 minute speech. And he went for two hours and an hour of that two hours was him speaking off script. At one point he was doing the script thing. He was following the teleprompter. And I think it was a blacks for Trump group started getting rowdy and exciting and cheering out. We love you. We love you. And he just said, literally, he, literally, he's like, ah, Melania says I'm not supposed to do this, but screw it. We're just going to have fun, right? This is why I got elected. Let's go. And, just, and he just started hammering for an hour off script. And it was hilarious. He was swearing. He was throwing his hands around. He was calling people out. It was amazing. But absolutely, the demographics have shifted. There's a lot more cultural influence. This year at CPAC, I was there representing two of my clients, Andre Soriano, the fashion designer and ricky rebel the top 40 um grammy nominated pop star who just recently came out pro trump pro maga and so we were there representing kind of that side of the political movement Uh, it was really fun there's a lot of people who are starting to get the trend now you know we don't go there necessarily to watch the speech there's a lot of networking there like you said a lot of handshaking i went there i started on the first day with 500 business cards And they were gone within the first hour um and you know everyone goes there to network everyone's looking for the newest and the exciting things the old republican guard the old gop guard is being replaced and really what you saw was a a whole group of younger up and coming conservatives voters and young demos using CPAC as a venue to really network and grow projects outside of CPAC.
1: Yeah. Where if if you just join us, we're speaking with Tom Chatelet, talent agent, writer, producer, and all-round world sexiest man. At CPAC, Tom. <laughs> he likes that. At CPAC, um see so The injection that Donald Trump brings, I think, is not without some danger as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, we were talking about the difference between the cultural and the political. Um, As we see the, the Democrats taking control of the House and now ramping up their strategy to remove the president, which I think is going to be isolate the inner circle, intimidate them, isolate him, intimidate the inner circle, and do their best to cut down surrogates at all levels of media. And that's even, you know, going up as high as, say, a Sean Hannity, who it's reported lately is, you know, looking like he's going to be subpoenaed by the Southern District of New York to appear before a court. So uh, the attacks are ramping up. So I just wonder, you know, you don't want to reveal too much here. And I know it's not necessarily a pro-Trump thing with you. I think it's a deeper thing than that, you know, because there is going to be life after Trump at some point, And we need to prepare for that, right? Um, but at this stage, I guess it's about keeping your opponent's pieces off the board. What do you? What was the general mood of people that you spoke to there in regards to the current climate? Do you? Th- is there confidence, or is there a little bit? Well, you know what? Um, we need to stop kind of sitting back and thinking that Trump's going to take care of everything here because this is getting real really fast.
0: Yeah, um, you know. Going into, you know, these past few months before CPAC, I've really been trying to actively get an accurate pulse on the nation and the momentum and the morale of Republican, MAGA, disaffected Democrats, you know, Gen Z, uh, Gen X, you know, get a general feeling of the temperature and see exactly what kind of momentum we're working with and you know it when i first got out there it was pretty low um a lot was happening with the democrats you know they've been obviously firing on all cylinders. They, they play offense very well and it can be demoralizing specifically because there's a lot of things that haven't exactly happened yet that have been just a fight and a fight and a fight um but i think that's actually starting to change uh, i i noticed it about a month before cpec probably like, I, I mean, I've been going to all over. I've been going to the Midwest. I've been going to the West, to the East, uh, spending time in Alabama and Nevada and California, Oregon, Washington, D.C., New York, Florida, and really trying to get an accurate reading of where we stand as far as morale, where the grassroots is at, what kind of coalitions are being formed and how active people are being what's driving them, what's drawing them to become active, and really doing a hard, objective analysis of that because it was very hard to get a reading just by watching pundits or by watching news because Fox tells you that everything's amazing and, you know, Democrats tell you that the whole world's about to end. So if you believe either of them, you're basically – it's very hard to get an accurate picture. But the – Attitude is shifting, though. Um, there's a new excitement growing. Um, we've been really trying to make strides culturally to help energize people. And mean, everybody needs a march. Everybody needs a rallying cry. Everybody needs a catalyzing something to really get them moving, get them out voting, get them active, get them sharing and spreading, messaging. And we've really been taking, you know, no quarter. Um, at injecting as much of our messaging into the current culture paradigm as we can. And it's, it's starting to really pay off actually. Um, the biggest thing we're going to be fighting coming up to the 2020 that's the biggest hindrance to this that we didn't have necessarily in 2016 is uh, internet tech censorship. Mm. And, you know, that's going to be one of our biggest hurdles going forward that we're really trying to Figure out, combat, build strategies for, and really teach young conservatives, young libertarians, young disaffected Democrats how to get around these mechanisms that are being built that will stifle a lot of the messaging that wasn't around in 2016. And you know, I'm really trying to get, specifically young people, but just people in general who want to be active in politics, starting to get them thinking on a five, 10, 15 year timeline, as opposed to just trying to ride the eight hour news cycle every day. Um, it's not as effective. It's good for serotonin. It's good to deliver dopamine to people. And it can be you know, good for keeping some numbers for the lowest common denominator. But we're really trying to reach past that. Like you said, Trump, if we're lucky, if, if everything pans out, we'll have six more years-ish. And then after that, what? Um, and historically, we were seeing a swing back to the blue And so we need to prepare for that because, you know, we need to be planning for the six, seven, ten-year timeline.
1: Yeah, and, like, I know it's fun to say, well, all Democrats are idiots, right? And a lot of people do say that. But I suspect that after 2016, a lot of intelligent Democrats got to work figuring out what the hell just happened here. How the hell did this just happen? And then I think you can see it twofold. One, that they've adjusted their social media messaging and their presentation so they've become a little bit more combative, but not in a way of just calling Donald Trump fans racist and stuff. They've been a little bit more proactive in tearing down, like trying to get ahead of social media curves, I think. And an example of this would be Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her effectiveness in this area. I mean, she's playing from the Trump playbook. And I and I suspect the other arm to that would be the suppression of the effective voices on the opposite side. Therefore, you can give you know a free run... To your team and just put up roadblocks to the other team, right? So I I just wonder if many people have come to grips with that or if we're still kind of in this lulled sense of, well, it's okay. Donald Trump will tweet and that'll be the end of it. You know, he destroys everyone. But if you actually look at the numbers of engagement, he is like by far and away the most. Like he is a powerful, he is a behemoth. But you add up all of the Democrats underneath him combined, they're more than him. And there's not another conservative within kui of those numbers, right? So is, is this the kind of thing you're thinking about, like, you know, how to get around what people are facing in social media? Is it, is it about presentation or are we talking about, you know, transplanting a whole new platform kind of thing?
0: Well, a combination of both, a combination of all of the above. Um, even Donald Trump now is being throttled quite a bit by the machine learning and the new algorithms that are coming out of MIT. And, you know, we've, I've really been trying to educate conservatives, donors, foundations, financiers, uh, campaign contrib- contributors, because what they're working with now, and we, we've already started to see, and I called this, I actually wrote an article back in 2000 late 2016, when I was with Cernovich Media, first detailing what was going to be happening in the coming years up, up to 2016 and beyond um, as far as social media, internet censorship was concerned. And that is still a very, it was an op-ed piece, so my opinions are all in it, but it's still very accurate and the players are still the same. You still have Deb Roy and Joy Ito out of MIT Media Lab that's funded by the MSM funded by uh, DARPA, it's funded by democratic organizations, and because they're the ones developing and paying and funding the creation of the new AI, of the new machine learning, of the new algorithms being used on social media and internet, it's they get first dibs, and they have all control of it, and they don't necessarily have to have transparency with the public, just among themselves. So the... I've really been trying to educate people, and people are really starting to realize. Uh, I'm just on a phone call. Okay. It was just quiet over here, so I moved over here. Okay. Just serious close right now. Okay. Okay. And have you gotten pre authorization to uh, <laughs> audio,
1: have audio video <laughs> recording? Live, on I'm live just broadcasting. On a phone
0: call. Like I'm on a Skype call. Live I'm, broadcasting, I'm ladies and gentlemen. I just have, but we don't have, um, huh? Yep. There is no video recording allowed on property, this is the Oh, okay, no problem. Uh, I'm gonna have to move y'all. <laughs> right. Speaking of censorship, look at that. Right. Um. Wow. But anyways, so where I'm where are the where are the dead
1: hookers, Tom? No, no, no live recording yeah. on this property. Thank you. There must be a pile of dead hookers somewhere. I suspect that's why you're there. That's why I oh, well, you know, absolutely, yeah, of course, yeah. But,
0: um, that's okay, I'll head back up to the room. But, right. um, so we've really been working tirelessly on that, and we're having a lot of headway. And, you no,
1: know, he's, 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 Tom's going in slow motion
0: for us <laughs> the <laughs> left pushing and the thing is just walking in slow
1: motion just to guys. yeah I feel like I need to put chariots of fire to this video like dun, 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 dun. Yeah, a bit of heroic music to go with it yeah like here's the uh, other thing too, Tom, I don't know if you can hear me okay but while you're moving around I might just throw something else in here. Um, The other thing that people don't realize is, you know, I don't think it's a Democrat-Republican thing. I don't think it's necessarily a left-right thing. The censorship trait does lend itself more towards our modern understanding of, you know, like the totalitarian left. But they're also cracking down on liberals as well. Like there's, you know, if you run an organic garden and speak out against Monsanto, you're likely to catch a ban. You know what I mean? If you're a liberal uh, in favour of free speech and against censorship, you could catch yourself a ban as well. So, uh, you know, it's like, it's like the coming war isn't necessarily between left and right, although I do think there are a lot of shared traits there, but it looks to me more like corporate, corporate tyranny on, on a mass scale, trying to funnel everyone into a very, very narrow window of thought. Would that be a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We've noticed uh, through running analysis of the, of what's happening, and I have, I've worked for liberal companies, I still have a very good contact network with inside a more liberal uh, demographics on social media and other places, and really what we're finding is, you know, not just conservatives are being banned, they're being banned in a very boisterous, loud, in-your-face kind of way. You know, where they're getting deplatformed off of everything simultaneously and then they're hitting payment processors and now they're hitting banks. And I told people this was going to be happening um, up and up to 20. It's only going to get worse up to 2020 and beyond. You're going to see many financial institutions dropping public conservatives. Um, It's going to get really, I think, a lot worse before it gets better. Um, But um, that kind of helps us because it really drives awareness when people's bank accounts start getting closed. Yes. And when all payment processors and MasterCard starts dropping people and you start affecting people's business, that's going to drive people to be very active. And that's going to make people on the left and the right and specifically independent really analyze what's going on here. And I've been warning both liberal uh, uh, liberals and conservatives, it's going to be coming. And the liberals that are championing it, I say, guess what? You think it's going to stop with us? It's not. Once you build this weapon, guess who it's going to be used on? I mean, once we're gone, who's next? You are. And, and there's it's, it's, that's just how it's going to work. That's just how the evolution of this will play out if it's not stopped. Um, but we're finding, you know, there was a big purge of uh, more lefty, liberal, progressive social media pages. About 800 of them actually have been purged. And they were purged quietly. They weren't purged loudly. And they weren't mm. purged in a way that brought a lot of public scrutiny. Um, but they were. Uh, natural health uh natural gardening um, anything there's there's certain topics if you talk about vaccinations whether you're on the conservative or the liberal side you'll end up banned on social media it's not a question specifically if you're skeptical yep. um, and you know th- there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of things of topics that will trigger and you know i've been pointing it out to the left i've been pointing it out to the right and you know some liberals are starting to see it now and You know, we're working on it, but I've really uh, tried to drive home and really start pointing the finger at where it belongs, the people and the entities that are funding and creating the AI, and they have no transparency, they have no oversight, and there's no real legislation that can stop them or regulate them or even, you know, force them to report on what they're doing. And since the average American and the average politician doesn't have any kind of knowledge base inside big tech, Inside coding, inside algorithms, AI, machine learning since it's all over most of their heads instead yes. of their wheelbase. There's not a lot of public discussion, and unfortunately, until that happens, um, we're still going to be hitting the stone wall. So well,
1: why I've would been- why would politicians want to? Why would they want to know anything about it? Because then it would be on them to do something about it. I don't know if you saw, uh, you know, the the hearings with Twitter and Facebook and Google, but I mean, it's embarrassing. To see these people sit there and Mr. Pesha, are you trying to tell this committee that your your comp your organization known as Google? You don't have people specifically in there changing the search results now, do you boy? Oh no, of course not. Well, there you go. That's case closed. And it's like, oh man. Yeah. And you know, it's like, what are we dealing with here? Is this the best we can do? Is this the best we can muster? Like doesn't anybody want to take this bull by the horns? Obviously not. It's too hard, it's too tricky, it's too dangerous. Maybe they're too owned. Who knows?
0: I I think I think it's a a, a comp, uh, it's a, a compilation a, co- a combination of just naivete, incompetence and yes, uh, some corruption. Um it's very hard when you're trying to run for a campaign and some tech company is giving you millions of dollars to then go on the stand and lambast them for whatever it is they're doing and still expect, you know, and you still, while still relying on those campaign contributions for your next election. So, um, again, the biggest thing that we can do, and this is what I've been trying to do, is really work. You know, I was just talking to James O'Keefe yesterday. Talking to Project Veritas, obviously they just came out with videos um, specifically on this story that I've been talking about since 2016, and you know, you know, we've been talking. I'll just leave it at that. But um, ironically, some of the banned terms that just came out that they released from mm-hmm. uh, the videos one of one of them is Châtelet with the capital S, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> so.
1: Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) What are you going to do?
0: They even even capitalized it, which I thought was (laughs) hilarious. Um, But either way, you know, we're working on it. Either way, it's stuff like that, and it's grassroots activism, because we're not going to get a lot of support from the GOP. We're not going to get a lot Mm. of support from the RNC. Um, This is being all these operations, all these move, you know, campaigns that we're putting together are literally being run from the grassroots, independently funded. Um, not a lot of PR. We're operating kind of in the shadows a bit on this. Um, we're going around all over the nation meeting with people. It's like literally a lot of these people are scared to come forward. But um, we're really, really pushing. We're, we're doing what the GOP is not willing, capable mm. or smart enough to do. Um, and You know, we're just going to be we're just going to be dragging it out there. You know, Trump finally, uh, you know, he's starting to mention it in the CPAC speech. He mentioned the social media censorship. It's because we've really been we've really been driving the message as much as we can. I've talked to White House surrogates, multiple White House surrogates all the time. Some of them are good friends of mine now. Talk to the comms team, um, talk to strategists, talk to top Republican leaders, top independent leaders, top libertarian leaders. Um, and, and really with social media, those, those people who still have platforms, um, really we're working, uh, you know, synergistically with a lot of these folks. That's one of the biggest problems that we've been trying to combat, too, and we're actually starting to have some Is A lot of these people, a lot of conservatives specifically, are very independently minded people, and it's hard to get them to play nice and really join some kind of collective group because yes. it's kind of an antithesis of what our ideology is. Unfortunately, it has to happen if we're going to win, we have to work together and we have to leverage each other's skills and each other's networks to be effective. So we've been talking to Brandon Struck, a good friend of mine, Scott Prestor, one of the most active activists in the, in the nation. Um, you know, he's worked, we've flipped four seats so far from blue to red and we're just grinding, everyone just take one at a time. We just keep grinding, grinding, grinding. You know, obviously we're doing the um, cultural thing and the pop thing too, but um, we are, we're really, really pushing and, and, and showing people that we could put the, fi- the fighting and the beefing aside, put the fighting and the beefing aside, um, at least coming up to this 2020 election and really work together. And we're starting to have leeway. We're starting to be able to network, uh, leverage each other's networks. When someone gets censored, When someone's being shadow banned or content's being removed, we're really working to make sure we have an alternative place for that.
1: Just breaking up a little bit there, Tom. I don't know if we've got your back.
0: They only really ban messaging that's effective. And so as soon as you're in the notice, Houston, can you hear me now?
1: Yep, got you now, got you now. All good. So you're talking about messaging. Um,
0: Yeah, and we've been really successful so far thus far you know talking you know to people who shall remain nameless that may currently be under a gag order um you know which is a whole nother thing in itself Uh, but you know we're really really pulling everyone together But i think everyone at this point who's really paying attention realizes that if we thought 2016 was pivotal and we thought 2016 was a crazy war um 2020 is going to be something that the history books have never seen before yep and i think a lot of people are ready for that they're prepared for that i know that i've been talking to campaign ground game across the nation uh both grassroots and you know sanctioned let's say um unofficially uh quote unquote i disavow whatever whatever i have to say to make
1: (laughs) that i'll I'll edit that in later that's fine i've got a i've got a bit like a use one one stop all kind of thing you know like this person does not endorse anything as he, uh, there it is. Carry on.
0: Right. Right. The, uh, but I've actually, you know, I, a lot of people and I think I was as well, until I started really digging in and doing the research and traveling throughout the nation and meeting these folks, a lot of people were skeptical of the ground game for 2020. Mm-hmm. And I can say unequivocally that I am pretty darn confident in this point. Um, The left has been doing research. They have been doing their homework. Bernie Sanders' campaign obviously has been running AOC. Um, It's literally Bernie Sanders. All Bernie Sanders' top chief chief strategists are behind AOC. And um, they've used her very well at pushing out the socialist, lefty, more Bernie message coming up to the 2020 election. Obviously, Bernie's going to run, thank God. I'm so happy he's running. It's going to make my life so much easier. <laughs> um, but they really they prepped the, they really prepped the ground, ground game. And obviously you're starting to see that. We've been really trying to poke holes. But where conservatives have been attacking her directly and overtly and about things that are surface level, um, there's been a lot of people like me and others uh, behind the scenes doing research on exactly what their team is doing, how they're operating, and... You know, how they've been so effective at using conservatives to build a progressive superstar. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to poke holes in her narrative. We're starting to show where her campaign finances are coming from. Yes. The shady dealings, some of them that were going on with her chief of staff. Um, and, you know, uh, we've put out some of this messaging before. If you were to follow my timeline, I talked about it. Um, you'll see some pundits that I've been consulting. Uh, On on news networks, on media networks, on independent podcasts like this, talking about what's starting to happen, what's really going on there. Um, But you know, I I'm actually very I'm I'm very optimistic seeing the amount of ground game that's just not been announced yet, that's not visible to the masses at this point. But they are putting together uh, a machine. Mm. that is ready and they've been doing it since 2016 since as soon as donald trump won the election uh, nothing stopped the machine didn't stop it just started analyzing finding loopholes finding vulnerabilities and reinforcing those places
1: yeah so it's, it's it's about reimagining isn't it you've got to reimagine like i've been trying to say to people about ocasio-cortez for a while you, you can't you can't do the traditional conservative walk up and donkey on the head kind of attack because she's going to be having her she's getting her clips played at you know on Fox News name one other you know full on left wing progressive that's able to have their clips played hour after hour after hour on Fox News it's pretty fucking rare you know what i mean so she's actually using you know the right traditional way of attack to her advantage so you need to reimagine it i'm so glad you were saying that stuff about you know, trying to build um, bridges in different areas with different groups. This is something you and I, if you cast your mind back, we've spoken about. I've spent so many hours talking about this. This was in the lead up to Donald Trump getting elected, this idea of bipartisan nationalism. And that's the thing that we need to focus on. Like, it's it's twofold, right? It's not about me versus you, the liberal. Like, it's not me, the conservative versus you, the liberal. It's us versus the politicians, That's the way the system is structured. That's the way it operates. They're dictating to us instead of us dictating to them. That's the fundamental chasm. That's the fundamental difference. That's one thing that needs to shift, the way we look at politics as a system to begin with. Because while we're constantly um, doing the easy attack from one side to the other, we're missing the bigger play here. We're missing the bigger picture. With, like, If we could just agree on a few fundamentals, because here's the other thing too. Nobody wants to live in a one-party state, do they? You know, you it's you know, if just say all of your opponents got wiped out tomorrow, do you think that you would be home free and not have any opponents in the future? Of course not. New opponents would would rise up and seek to take you down anyway. They might just be a more vicious version of yourself, which is scary enough to contemplate. So that balance between, you know, the the conversation that occurs between one side and the other, and where they meet in the middle, that's where the magic happens a lot of the time. So if we could just agree on a few fundamentals, then we can have the arguments about everything else, right? But it's about aligning people's you know priorities to like and making it so simple and so base, like just one, two, three things, right? Free speech, uh, liberty, and something else. I don't know, whatever you want. Free blow on Fridays, whatever it is. But just agree on three things, right? And then from there, then you can start to build bridges. And then all of a sudden, the actual enemies start to present themselves because whoever could be opposed to these three things, it's like, well, hang on, you're not one of us. You're not one of us. Why are you trying to stifle this? What have you got against creativity? What have you got against that flair? And, you know, Donald Trump is only in office today. I keep repeating this point ad nauseum. Donald Trump is only in office today because of Democrats who voted for him in the blue wall states. Brexit, although it's falling off the cliff, only happened because of longtime left-wing voters in the northeast of England. Without them, there is no Brexit. Without the Democrats in the Blue Wall states, there is no Donald Trump presidency. And that's something oh, to build on. Absolutely. And I'm glad you're working in that yeah. area.
0: Well, I've been doing a lot of things uh, in, in in demographics that, uh, historically speaking, conservatives, GOP and Republicans have never really had much successful outreach say in the african-american community in the gay community in the latino community in the hispanic community Um, i've really been focusing on these areas because there are insane grievances and valid grievances from these communities about issues that are being caused specifically by the more progressive but by liberal policies and in droves people are realizing what's something's up and these demographics are not set in stone. You know, the the, the Democrats like to believe and the liberals like to believe that they own these monolithic demographics, but you know, whether it be African Americans, LGBT, and they have historically, you know, overwhelmingly got the majority votes from these groups, but with the open borders and the immigration issues now at the forefront, that's really affecting African-American communities. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of children of African-American children in the United States that are going hungry, that are homeless. And meanwhile, the illegal immigrants are getting a lot of the, are sucking up a lot of the benefits that would be distributed to those communities. Um, It's been really good to see Donald Trump reach out and start pushing something that would normally be more of a progressive standpoint with economic empowerment zones, that's not a conservative issue. That's never been a GOP issue. Well, Donald Trump's made it an issue, and it's actually making a difference, and they're noticing this. When they have jobs, when they have money, when they're getting the safety nets that they really, really need in some of these communities now, after Donald Trump took office, they notice those things. They can hate Trump all they want, but when it affects their pocketbook, when it affects their ability to put food on their table. It's, it makes them think really about what's happening and what they're being told, um, specifically in the LGBT community. And I, was, I just posted an article today out of uh, Birmingham in the UK where 400 Islamic parents at a school, at an elementary school, uh, rallied and petitioned to remove a LGBT awareness program, which again normally conservatives would you know you know they would be uh, pretty vocal about you know pushing of a very strong lgbt message inside of an elementary school yes. um, however you know there's other groups out there that are far more conservative ish and right wing uh, by the lefty standards than conservatives than christians and yes. ideologies that have far reaching roots and deep roots that are very anti-LGBT and that's starting, that's starting to really show Um, like I I do a lot of work specifically in the LGBT community. Most of my friends, most of my clients are uh, gay or fall on that spectrum and they are absolutely fed up. They cannot believe what's happening. They can't believe that they're being, you know, they were being paraded around by the left as this, you know, progressive monolith and now they're seeing things that are really affecting their communities. They just, then they're flabbergasted. They don't honestly, most of them feel lost. And so I'm really trying to reach out to them and show them, you know, what, what's been going on on our side and really, you know, that we have a lot of very core underlying common ground beliefs. Um, in the Hispanic community too, you know, the the illegal immigration comes up again, because you have folks, uh, you know, immigrants tend to form communities, um, Mm -hmm. and the illegals are coming into communities full of legal immigrants and immigrant communities and bringing with them the MS-13, bringing them with them human trafficking and the legal immigrants, again, notice this. They see the crime. The bullets affect their neighborhood. You know, the stray bullets from what's the violence hits their kids and affects their schools and affects their children education and their ability to collect benefits or to work and get jobs. And there's a lot of awakening happening among a lot of groups that the Democrat, the Democrats. Uh, think they own and
1: yes yeah. I, I i wonder tom i wonder tom if the way it's presented to us it's an argument i've often made that you know the corporate press tom and the more vocal amongst us in our societies in the western world um it's always about trying to present an image of what they think or they want rather than what is and you know, I see people go on, you know, CNN for example, and talk about racism and everything's awful and everyone's horrible, Tom. And then you know, I, I see people do, like walking in the street buying a cup of coffee together. You know what I mean? And they are like, did you did you see what that that crazy motherfucker said on CNN last night? Yeah, I did. Yeah, do you want to get a cup of do co- you want to get a cup of coffee? Yeah, sure, sounds great. You know, let's talk about sport, right? A lot of people just aren't engaged with that level of you know hyperbole and uh Sorry,
0: I, I just got a phone call so it
1: dropped me out oh okay are you, are you there do you want to get do what do you want me to let you go is it one you have to take are you there see if tom comes back to us i think he's there we can see him he's a busy man He's not getting kicked out of... <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> there he is. Is he back? <laughs> I can't. I'm not getting any audio. You're not getting any audio. Well, this is interesting. Well, I'll, I'll just carry on with the point then. I, I see a lot of... Maybe I cynic- should
0: drop out real quick and join. Should, I join. should I rejoin? Sure. Sure, rejoin.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me do that real quick. We'll see if we can get Tom back. But the point I was making is that like, this level of outrage porn that's pushed, I don't think it's necessarily accurate for a lot of people. They probably want us to feel like the the walls are closing in. They want us to feel like there can be no ground gained with people with different viewpoints. When, of course, that's just simply not true. I think, you know, the level of anger and cynicism and hatred that has come to the fore since the election of Donald Trump is obviously far worse and far different than anything we've seen before. But I don't think it's an impossible task. I think we have Tom back. Are you there, mate?
0: I am. And I'm here and stuff again. Beautiful. So I got a phone call and it threw my phone crazy.
1: That's all right. Um, we won't keep you too much longer. I just wanted to speak on a point I was just making, uh, get you to speak on a point that I was just making. Um, it seems like some people, I'll boil it down now, <laughs> like the shortened version. Um, what's presented in the corporate press and the more vocal amongst us, Tom, whether it be on the left and the right, uh, you know, not everybody on the left is a lunatic who wets themselves at the sight of Milo just like not everybody on the right is, you know, some kind of hate-filled bigot that wants to tie imaginary nooses around black people's necks. But the, you know, what for whatever reason, there's probably a number of reasons, this is the world, this is the paradigm that is presented to us to swallow. And they want to say, you are in this world. This is the world. This is the way that you, you interact with each other. But then reality will tell you that two people will talk about how crazy the news is and then go down the street and buy a cup of coffee together. And, you know, talk about football or talk about songs or talk about a movie that they watched on the weekend. And we, even though we are, you know, watching politics and watching, you know, the tip of the cultural spear on a daily, you know, minute to minute level for yourself, uh, I still think most people just don't engage that way. And the hyperbole, Tom, the, the outrage porn that's pushed, I think it has the effect of switching a lot of people off. And so maybe the underlying, the subtext to all of this, the way that we're going to, you know, quote unquote, start winning uh, in a bigger, grander scheme is to find a way to render the outrage porn and the false prism of reality that's presented to us by people for their own reasons, whether it's money or control or something along that line, is to find a way around it and render it useless, render it meaningless and, you know, a, a source of mockery, if nothing else, or just indignation at worst. And because I think, you know, for the people that get their news from 30-second bites or a headline, Tom, with one paragraph, these are the hearts and minds that are most up for grabs. Other people are already in their corners, right? Their people are already in their corners. They're already awake. They're already paying attention. And it's about seeping through that, you know, that shell that's put over our brains and and leaking out to the rest of society that big chunk of like 30 to 40 percent right right there smack bang in the middle who probably vote more on issues rather than teams and who probably care more about the kardashians than they do about Mueller reports would that be a fair thing to say
0: absolutely and there is a way we can combat this there is a way we can combat internet censorship and All of the obstacles that are facing society that aren't even a liberal or a conservative issue. These are a people versus an establishment issue, a people uh, versus an oligarch, technotronic, elite issue. And really the solution is use less social media. You know, Matt Drudge famously on one of his last interviews on Infowars um, with Alex Jones talked about social media being Internet ghettos. And in a literal sense that's exactly what it is it's a place that holds your mind holds your energy and holds your attention as you get programming all day long every day um, very limited a very limited scope of programming most most mostly um, and programming that's very it's completely generated and pushed by, by a lot of money and interests so one of the things that we've been doing and that I've been doing in the past few months and we're having amazing success is, getting people active outside of the internet. They can they can soci- they can ban us on social media they can censor us they can deplatform us and shadow ban us and whatever but that doesn't have that doesn't have near, that doesn't have much effect on what we can do in our day-to-day life now as they start going after financial institutions it will more and as they do that and as they actually start clamping down on people's bank accounts it's going to cost them every election. Um, that will cause such a backlash that I'm hoping it doesn't swing too far right to be honest uh, that's mm. normally historically will happen in situations like this um, but you know these are these are literal Nazi tactics that are being used when you see Jewish pundits and Jewish activists losing Chase bank accounts um, that's literally what Nazi Germany did that's not even like a, a, you know that's 100% what they did they started going yeah. after all their banks first correct um, and You know, as we see those tactics ramp up, things are gonna change, but we are really trying to build the grassroots activism, the on the street activism. We're getting people out registered to vote. We're getting people out canvassing neighborhoods. Um, The Republicans and the GOP is absolutely asleep at the wheel. And that's fine because we're taking over their party anyway. Um, CPAC too, to get back to that for a second, was a good uh, representation of that. You had Laura Loomer lose her press pass. You had uh, Michelle Malcolm get up on stage and call out key members of the GOP and the Republican establishment um, for their collusion and their willing cooperation with the authoritarian policies that are starting to take hold in America. And the fact that those things are starting to happen more and, with more and more frequency at conservative, at Republican events. Now we're starting to see right-wingers learn and teach each other how to protest, how to get active in the streets peacefully and how to you know, start affecting the political and cultural narrative off of social media. It's actually, in my opinion, probably a blessing in disguise. Every person they censor, every person they gag, every person they shadow ban, when, though, when that's pointed out, and when the sheer scale of this is pointed out, and we're really trying to point out the sheer scale of, scale of it, Americans have no concept, I don't think, of exactly how big and how widespread this problem has been since 2016, and how fast it's growing. Mm. Um, but every, every time we get a key case, a Laura Loomer, an Alex Jones, uh, who regardless of whether you believe in what they're doing or not, or agree with their messaging, are being used to set the precedents for internet-wide deplatforming, um, and not now. Now it's branching out from it, from the internet to real life and to yes. on the ground with financial institutions. Correct. Um, and you know that's been a catalyst that we've been able to use and leverage and point out to folks. And the ground game is swelling. People are getting active. They understand exactly what we're up against. And the the learning curve is at a a speed that I've never seen it before. Um, I think the GOP and the Republicans are terrified, and rightfully so. Um, Trump, although he was the tip of the spear, is a representation of uh, a much bigger thing that's happening. And it's global, and it's bipartisan. And there is a shift happening. in a big way right now. You know, I talk to uh, lefty journalists, righty journalists, you know, there's a, right now there's a large interest in the mimetic field, which I've talked about at length and I've given, given speeches on it and helped train folks. Um, but these guerrilla tactics, you know, you have people like the faction, like Sabo going out, doing grassroots physical mimetic campaigns in the streets of Hollywood um, and other places around the globe. These are where victory lies for conservatives. These, these um, moves, these pushes, these campaigns, these folks and these ideas are what will propel Trump to victory in 2020 and propel, uh, libertarians independence and this new conservative resurgence to victory incoming elections take retaking the house um holding on to the senate and you know what the left is going to have to rely on in 2020 is tech censorship and it's going to have to be very overt and very trans very naked what they're going to do they have no way to hide it at this point because they're going to have to go for such a big wave of different mitigating factors, say uh, ballot harvesting, redistricting. Um, and these kind of underhanded methods to poll elections, you know, when you saw California turn completely blue, yep. um, that, wa- that wasn't an accident. And that wasn't, um, you know, that wasn't due to completely legitimate means either. In as far as morally is concerned. You know, they might have legal loopholes for a majority of what they do, but morally, uh, the the Americans see it. Transparency is there now, and it's getting more and more and more. So every move they make, every chess piece they move, they have to be more and more naked and brazen with their underlying strategy and the narratives they're pushing. And it's really going to make our job a lot easier. Um, It was good to see Trump at CPAC come out on the offensive um, and really just double down and triple down. Um, he also addressed for the first time in a while from that I've seen anyway, um, violence on college campuses and against Trump supporters. Um, he had the guy who was uh, attacked on the college campus by that Antifa gentleman who was punched by him. Yep. Um, he pulled him up on stage and addressed it and said, "We have to stop this. This can't happen." Um, you know, he had some choice words for that. I think he called him, you know, nice young gentleman. He's like, "I can't be mean to him because the press, the press is going to get all up in a bunch." Oh, Trump's promoting <laughs> violence. You know, he's like, "No, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's a nice, well-adjusted person who's just having a tam- temper tantrum." Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, it, I'm it sure he's hilarious. perfectly
1: fine. Yeah. I'm, he's perfectly sane, rational young man who just had a bad day. Is that a bad day? Right. Yep.
0: Um But he's starting to address he addressed that. He uh, mentioned the exact which I've known about. But yeah, Hayden, um, he's mentioned the executive order that he's go- wants to issue to call for college campuses saying that the college cannot stand behind First Amendment policies; they will lose their federal funding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bold action like that, but she does have the he does have the capital to do that. He does have the ability. It's well within the executive branch to issue an order like that. And it's bold action like that and bold moves like that, that are really going to publicly up the momentum. And I think you're going to see the rhetoric change. And I think you're going to see his strategies change um, quite a bit in the next coming months. And he's going to become much more aggressive, even in the face of all this ridiculous Muller investigations and all this nonsense that's been going on. um, He's gonna start deviling and tripling down on um, his actions. His actions are gonna start mirroring what they were in a 2016 campaign as far as aggressiveness. Um, And once he starts giving the rallying cry for the Patriots to come come and get involved again, they will. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing it all across the nation. They were just waiting for the, there's so many people across the nation that were just waiting for the signal. And Trump's going to start delivering it to them, and you know I know he's I know for a fact he's looking at tech censorship. I know for a fact that he's looking at violence from groups like Antifa and the fostering and the enabling of that by the Democrat and academic elites, and the issues like that are really, really going to be large portions of this next election as far as being able to swing states, counties, and voters.
1: You're listening to Tom Châtelet, ladies and gentlemen. A case for optimism, perhaps, rather than a case for complacency with Tom Châtelet. And once again, the culture feeds into everything with the uh, the educational system in particular. Tom, I know you're very tired. You're a very busy man. We'll let you go. How can people uh, keep up with what you're doing and what are you doing right now? How do we find your stuff, my man?
0: Absolutely. You can um, fo- follow me at Tom Chatelet on Twitter. That's pretty much one of the only platforms I'm personally using on my public profile at the moment. Um, I'm not super active on it. I do. I'm Like I said, I'm traveling every day of the week. I'm putting in 16 to 20 hour days every day um, coming up to this next election. Um, but Follow. I would say if you're interested in what I'm doing, follow my timeline. Look at who I'm retweeting. Look at the messaging I'm putting out. I should give you kind of a general blueprint or a rough blueprint of exactly where I am and what we're doing and what topics we're really digging into, um, and the network we're building. Um, I'll just you know I'm leaving little breadcrumbs for you folks if you want to read into it. I'm going to be doing more public stuff as we get closer to the election. Um, right now, I'm just trying to lay a lot of the scaffolding and groundwork. To really build people up um, oh yeah that picture that's hilarious um, that picture was actually at I don't know why I mean it was so it was so messed up like it got so distorted but I really liked it that was from uh, Cirque du Soleil I went to Cirque du Soleil in Vegas got ah. a show and that was I don't know This right I might have been I might have been tired or a little stoned when that went up but
1: <laughs> it looks like, uh, a Washington, like it looks like a gold-bladed Washington monument
0: <clears throat> oh, yo, in my profile picture, it's that was that was a mirrored obelisk. Uh. Yeah, that was also in Vegas. Um, but I like to put it in there because, you know, people love seeing the obelisks. Uh, makes conspiracy theorists go crazy, which makes me happy. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I can't help but troll a little bit when I'm on social media, just inherently in me. Um, follow what work we're doing with AOC. You can follow Magdalene Rose. Um, She's a good friend. And we've been working together on the combating AOC as well as other folks. Obviously, you have, uh, again, my friend Brandon Strzok at US Minority who has already uh, mentioned that he may run against AOC in New York. And he was just on Mark Levin. If you haven't caught that interview, you should catch it. It's amazing.
1: Um, I heard he did very well.
0: He did. He he killed it. He's he's a powerhouse. He's really something else. Um, if he ran against AOC, I don't think she would have a chance. Um, Interesting, especially if, especially if he got to debate her. Um, the follow what we're doing. You'll see me tweet uh, MIT a lot. Um, you'll start seeing me mention more of MIT as we start digging into that. You know, like I said, I was just talking to James O'Keefe and Project Veritas yesterday. Obviously, they've just released their video on. Kind of the inner workings of social media censorship, Um, and they're starting to unmask those things. Um, So there's a lot of independent groups that are really linking together right now, pulling together, pooling their resources, pooling their network, and we're going to make 2019 and 2020 insane. This is going to be a big year, it's going to be very active, it's going to be very bold, loud, and in your face, and I am just encouraging all Americans out there, whether you're on the left or the right, start paying attention to get active, stop watching mainstream media as much, turn off your computers, turn off your Twitters as much as you can, and really start analyzing what's happening in your community. Um, and get a hold of your representatives. Scott Pressler, again, a, a, an amazing friend, uh, one of the best activists in the country. If you wanna get active and you want to know what you can do, my DMs are open. Um, They're always open. Um, you can email me if you want. Um, and, uh, it's real simple. That's Tom at gmail.com. Um, I'm also on telegram. I'm also on signal. Um, and if you get in touch with me, we can start talking. I can get you in, I can get anybody in touch with someone if they want to work with someone, if they want to start putting a coalition in their neighborhood together, if they want to learn how to teach people to register to vote, they want to hold a protest or a rally or anything. Um, get a hold of me and I'll give you resources that you need um, as far as information and networking is concerned to maybe learn how to do that and make that happen. And it's grassroots, stuff like that. That's going to win 2020 and it's going to fix this progressive Marxist problem that we have on our hand. At Tom Chatelet, and go to make sure everyone here, make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper and support Support your local broadcasters. And and it's really, really important that you do that. Uh, I can't stress enough when we face demonetization and we face censorship on the level that we do, how important it is to support your local broadcasters, how important it is to support your local personalities and the people that are willing to work a lot of times for free and long hours and really put in the time and have the passion to messaging and making people laugh and making people think and talk. So I really mean it. You guys need to go support Boogie Bumper. You need to go support these independent creators. Go support Brandon Strzok. Go support Magdalene Rose. Go support Scott Pressler. Um, without your support, it's very hard. And with your support, we can really make a change. And we don't have the GOP backing us. We're not RNC. We're not GOP. Um, we're a whole new entity. And with your help, we're going to take over the party and fix this country.
1: Well, big, bold 2019, 2020 sounds very American and very Tom Chatelet to me. Tom, you're always very gracious with your time. You're a very busy man. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. And thanks for shining a light on a lot of things that need to have a light shone on them. Until next time, my friend. Thanks so much. Anytime, okay. Thanks, everyone, guys, for listening. That was Tom Chatelet. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like he said, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you'd like to be vegan and bold, then do not get in touch with me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye bye.